I was feeling like I just wanted to leave I, like this world like that's how I felt You're listening to the Experience Sikhi podcast, a deeper look into the Sikh identity. We present to you open, honest, and inspiring stories. No armor, pretense, or sugarcoating. Welcome to the Experience Sikhi podcast. I'm Prabhjot Kaur. And I'm Gurleen Kaur. So Gurleen Kaur is going to be here as my guest co-host today. Um, she's going to be filling in and helping me ask our guests some questions. She's a teacher who's been teaching now for four years in uh, the GTA. And uh, I'm really looking forward to her having her here with me. Uh, before we begin, just a little bit of housekeeping. We will begin this podcast by acknowledging that we are meeting on Aboriginal land that has been inhabited by Indigenous peoples from the beginning. As settlers, we're grateful for the opportunity to meet here and we thank all the generations of people who have taken care of this land for thousands of years. In particular, we acknowledge the traditional territory of the Keitsi, Tuasin, Stolo, Sinich, and Kwantlen. So if you guys like the podcast, please remember to comment, rate, and subscribe on all major platforms where podcasts are released, like iTunes and SoundCloud. You can also send us questions and feedback at podcast at experienceiki.com. We also want to just reiterate that we're not mental health professionals. We're not Sikhi experts. We're just here learning. These are just our personal opinions, and we're not here to state any conclusions or facts. So with that being said, let's go into the podcast guests. With us today is Kiran Jodkor. She's also known as That Sick Mama. She is a wonderful mother of three little ones and a lifestyle blogger that focuses on all things motherhood, parenting, and mental health. Her goal is to create a platform where she can be honest and authentic about the struggles of motherhood and parenting. One of the goals of her blog is to shine some light on the postpartum anxiety and depression that she went through and is still coping with today. In today's podcast, we'll discuss her mental health, her relationship with Guru Saib, some self-love and self-care that she practices, and her future projects. So, here's Kiran Jotkor. Benji, we just wanted to welcome you onto the Experience Hiki podcast. And before we start, we just wanted to like uh, say that thank you so much for being on the podcast your blog is inspiring a lot of people and we wanted people to hear your story and get to know you a little bit more and we hope that your your uh, struggle with um, postpartum depression and anxiety will help a lot of other people uh, to start off can you tell us a little bit about yourself like starting with your childhood upbringing family just kind of in a brief moment <laughs> sure uh, thank you guys for having me um, so I grew up in Toronto. I was born and raised there and I moved to Vancouver when I was 16 and um, I grew up pretty much going to Sangat, like going to the Gurdwara all the time, going to Sangat, but I didn't really have a very strong like Sikhi foundation. Like I knew how to do Kirtan, but I didn't really connect with Bani that much until like my parents used to send us to uh, camps, Dixie Gurdwara camps, and I started to see other kids and ladies, girls wearing the stars, and I started to get inspired by that, like, wow, I, I actually thought that these girls were wearing the stars, they looked like queens and princesses, I, was, right. I thought they were so beautiful, yeah. and I wanted to 
do it myself. So when I was, I think, 15, 14, I, I started practicing like undercover. Yeah. <laughs> um, when, you know, my door was closed, my room door was closed and I would tie the stud. And um, after a lot of trial, trial and error, I started to wear it. Mm-hmm. But then my, my um, parents, they, they had good intentions, but I, I didn't realize at the time their side of the story or their viewpoint. But I just felt at that point, you know, when you're a teenager, you just kind of feel like people, everybody's against you. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. um, they didn't want me to tie this thought. And my dad said, like, you know, you should um, wait. You should wait until you're done college or university or after you're married. Right. And but I, all I knew is I wanted this now. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to wait. Yeah. And I wanted to take Amrit, but he also wanted me to wait because he felt like it was such a big responsibility. And um, looking back, I, I do agree with that as well. Right. But because I made plenty of mistakes. Yeah. Um, but uh, and they, they actually had a family meeting trying to tell me, like, why I shouldn't wear That's this crazy. thought. Yeah. yeah. Tie this thought. And then um, they all, everybody dispersed. And I remember my Fufurji. He's, he was still sitting next to me and he, everybody left the room and he looked and he's like, you're not going to stop wearing it, are you? I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I got, I actually got a lot more backlash from my family than I did from others. Right. Yeah. Um, like my, my cousins and some people would tell me that I look like a boy. Right. They were trying to discourage me. Yeah. Um, I don't know why it, like, it bothered me. It hurt me. It made me yeah. cry. Yeah. But it still didn't break me. Like, I I still wanted to tie it. And the other thing I found out many years later is that my my dad actually admired that about me, but he never told me. Yeah. And, and yeah. one of my cousins told me, she said, you know, your dad told, me, told us how he admired your strength, that yeah. you didn't care what any of anybody else was saying. You still, you knew what you wanted to do and you did it. Right. And, but I never knew that because he never told me. Mm-hmm. And I, I like, I don't know. It it was a it, after I started tying in the stud. I then I wanted to take Amrit, and my dad said, "Okay, go ahead." But I I made many mistakes afterwards, and then I I was like, you know, as I grew up, I'm like, you know what? I he was right. I should have waited. But now I realize that the it's just the start of our journey. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is the first. Step. Yeah. yeah. It's just it's like you know you get admission into university. Yeah. Yeah. And um. You're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna get bad grades. You're gonna get good grades. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah. So I grew up in Toronto, and then we moved to Vancouver when I was 16 in '99, and then I got married when I was 24 and moved to Ohio. Okay. And what was Vancouver like for you? Um, it was a hard uh, adjustment. I was actually glad to leave Toronto, and kind of leave everything behind. Yeah. Yeah and start new yeah but i didn't know anybody here mm-hmm. and it was a hard adjustment getting to know people and i think as a even as a child i looking back now i realized i was just very emotional i was very clingy and i had a lot of friends even most a lot of my good friends i had here i made here in vancouver and they would tell me like you're you're too clingy and that would hurt me <laughs> Yeah, but I don't know why. I always felt this need for like love and attention. Right. Yeah. 
I'm gonna cry now, so <laughs> let's move on. But I don't, I don't know if I answered all your questions. If I didn't, just uh... <laughs> no, I painted a good picture of, okay. of what it was like. Um, so just uh, moving forward, are there any passions and hobbies that you like to devote your time to? When I was first married, I used to love scrapbooking, but I never actually made even one full <laughs> I liked, I just, I love crafting and yeah. doing things with my hands and creativity. So I've tried so many different things and maybe I'll get more into it further, but like I've done, I've done scrapbooking, I've tried knitting, crocheting, um, cake decorating, all, sewing, all types of things, whatever. But my problem is that I can never just stay focused on one. I'm always yeah. moving. Right. Yeah. That's why you like, yeah. haven't been in. Yeah, like Pinterest has been not good for me because <laughs> it gives me so many ideas and then I get overwhelmed One and let it all go. Yeah. yeah. Pinterest does that. Yeah. 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 It scatters your mind. Yeah. I was reading this book, it's grit, but she talks about how when you're finding your passion, you have to go through that phase where you try everything uh, that's new yeah. and then you go through all that and you jump around and she's like when you land on what you actually love then you'll know yeah and then you move forward with that but you also need that phase where you jump around yeah, yeah. right <laughs> to figure out what it is yeah Betty, I wanted to you mentioned living in Vancouver growing up here spending like a lot of your life here um, we've heard back in Toronto Vancouver Seattle they're very close even like physically they're close but the Sangat is very close and mm -hmm. I know that some of you guys knew Harsimin Singh who was in Seattle who um, last year committed suicide mm -hmm. and uh, we wanted to ask you about that like what like did you know him personally or how was that like for you? Yeah I actually did not know him yeah. I I just started to see on Instagram pictures of him popping up and I tried to figure out what's happening right. like everybody was putting up pictures and then I just asked somebody and she said, you know, he, he committed suicide and right away I was just so sad mm -hmm. and I actually asked um, Gurkirat Singh about if he knew him and he told me, yeah, he was such a nice guy and I had no idea he was going through any of this. Like, he was always so happy and so fun to be around and um, I just immediately, I, I wondered what he was going through mm -hmm. in those moments leading up to it and um, I talked to my sister as well and she knew him actually pretty well and she was telling me um, that she, and she had a hard time dealing with it as well that just his his death mm -hmm. she was just she was feeling bad that she didn't know and she couldn't she wishes that she could have done something mm -hmm. to help him right and so just for many weeks I thought about him a lot and I I, again, I didn't know him, um, but I just, I was wondering what he must have been feeling. And, you know, again, I don't know, maybe he did reach out to somebody, but I was wondering all these things. Did he reach out to anybody? Did he try to get help? You know, and, I, and I've had those feelings too before. So um, it just kind of hit me hard. Yeah. Yeah. So opening up that topic of mental illness, uh, we once read on your blog, you mentioned the analogy of mental illness being or like having a broken leg. Could you explain that a little bit more to our listeners? Yes. Uh, so I actually, I've never been able, I'm not very good with words <laughs> most of the time. I've never been able to articulate how I feel very well. And I, um, this just happened recently when Kate Spade uh, passed away. Somebody on Instagram had made this analogy and I was like, wow, that 
makes a lot of sense and probably would help people understand like if if we have a broken leg we will need help to get get that help like we won't be able to get go, walk ourselves to a hospital or a doctor mm -hmm. we need someone to take us there yeah. and the the thing with uh, mental illness is sometimes that part of your brain that tells you that you know something's wrong something it's not working yeah. It's not so you're not able to even recognize that you need help. Yeah. yeah. So how how are you going to get help for something that you don't even realize you need help for, right? Yeah. So just like if if you have a broken leg, <coughs> you can't walk yourself to the hospital. You can't walk yourself to get help. Uh, if you we have our it's a brain disease, mental mm -hmm. illness. Yeah. Right. So sometimes if you recognize it, the first step is just recognizing it. Yeah. and getting help for it yeah but it's not easy people sometimes say why didn't you just get help well you don't know that you need help <laughs> yeah you don't even know anything is wrong and that's what we're trying yeah. to get to for our listeners on this podcast is get everybody to understand especially the older generation to understand that this is not just like you know you have so much to be thankful for and yeah like um, that it's it's really not your fault. It's a physical illness yeah. as well as a mental illness. Yeah. That's what we're trying to get at. We wanted to go a little bit into your personal journey. You've um, you were diagnosed with postpartum depression. Can you talk about what that was like through your pregnancy and raising your children as go to six and the diagnosis and how you manage it today? Sure. Um, so uh, when I had my first um, in two thousand eight, I didn't know anything about. The changes that happen to your body right it's just obviously there's so many physical changes that happen but emotionally and like your hormones they're now being spiked up to help this baby grow right and so i had heard a little bit about baby blues and that's supposed to be something that lasts up to two weeks it's just now your hormones are not um trying to protect this child anymore or help this child grow because the child is born mm -hmm. and yeah. so now they've fallen right. all of a sudden yeah. you start to experience all kinds of maybe irritability mood swings mm -hmm. and random crying right? right so after I had my first son um, he was premature so he came all of a sudden and um, maybe I wasn't mentally prepared I don't know but it was my experience with him was okay it was just I had the baby blues. It wasn't yeah. postpartum depression. I would go, but I remember going into a bathroom while everybody else, the family's all around, they're here to see him. I just go into a bathroom, close the door and cry for no reason. I don't know why I'm crying. I just let it all out, wash my face, wipe my tears away and walk back out and smile. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even know why I was crying. And I would get upset with my husband about the silliest things. and he didn't fully understand either mm -hmm. and I didn't either because I didn't know what was happening to me and you know um, after that it kind of just went away after the two weeks so I was okay but after I had my second in 2011 I it was just so hard to deal with I had a I had a midwife um, and so midwives they give you care up to six weeks weeks postpartum mm -hmm. so um, I would just be calling her. The, the thing about a midwife is, I'm going off a, a little tangent right now, but there, I, I just feel like the support you get from a midwife 
versus a doctor and there's nothing against doctors mm-hmm. um, but um, it's just a lot more supportive like I got to know her over the whole nine months that I was pregnant mm-hmm. I would see her every one at first once a month and then near the end once every two weeks and she knew everything about me and what I wanted what I my personality and I developed a relationship with her so at the end when I was experiencing these emotions I was able to just call her and cry to her and tell her that yeah. I, what I was feeling and at that time I was feeling a lot of just I was thinking about death a lot and not like about suicide but just like well if I'm not here it's okay like these kids will survive and if they sing will survive they'll be fine without me mm-hmm. it was I don't know why I couldn't get rid of those thoughts mm-hmm. just that you know not that I wanted to end my life but just I was just constantly thinking about death it was, and it was kind of scary so I just called her crying I need help I don't know what to do so she referred me to a psychiatrist and I went there with her I met a couple of times and she diagnosed me with postpartum depression mm-hmm. and she educated me a little bit about it and then she wanted to meet Navdej Singh so we all went in as a family and she kind of just educated him as well about it because he didn't know that's a great idea to yeah. educate him yeah yeah so her main thing I, my thing was i didn't want to take medication mm-hmm. it's a personal preference i'm not saying that medic like medication does help yeah it helps people but just personally i didn't want to mm-hmm. i wanted to overcome it before i considered medication i wanted to overcome it myself like mm-hmm. do everything I possibly could yeah. myself before I took medication and so um, her main thing was you need self-care you need to do you can't take care of your of your family if you don't take care of yourself first and that was just like a hard concept for me because I'm like I don't have time mm-hmm. like when am I supposed to do like this child is attached to me 24-7 yeah right I'm nursing him and um, my husband and I had took this approach that he would just kind of take care of the first one, Harnam Singh, and I would take care of Ajit Singh and I would just focus on him. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that wasn't a good idea either because Harnam Singh didn't get enough time with me and he, was, he needed that connection with me, right? Yes. Um, so I just, when she was saying that, I was like, I don't, have, I don't have time. She's saying half an hour every day. I'm like, where am I going to find half an hour? Right. And one thing that I, I do want to address is my um, uh, difficulty with my nickname. Like, it was very hard. Mm-hmm. Just basic Satabarnia. Yeah. I could not get through them. Like, I did not have the time or the energy. Right. Like, I was, I was just, you're waking up every two hours. You, you're, you don't have rest. I, when, I first, when I had my first, I was thinking that, you know, it would be so awesome, like, while I'm feeding, like, or nursing, like, we'll do our nithname together. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that lasted, I think, three days. We were, like, falling asleep. Yeah. I'm nursing him, and we're both, like, in the things, doing the part, and I'm trying to listen, and we're just falling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it didn't last very long. And and then after that, it was just, you know, you know, the typical fighter now saying, recording, listening to it, maybe even on you know, super speed. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not, you're not really listening to it. Mm-hmm. 
And so that that was a really big struggle for me and I had so much guilt about it. So my disconnection with the psychiatrist happened when I'm trying to explain this to her, but she's not understanding yes. how important it is. Right. Yeah. So, so like, because she's like, do you think God's going to love you any less because you didn't do your prayers? And I'm, I'm like, but that's not, you don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's that disconnect. Yeah. yeah. So then I stopped going because yeah. I was just like, that's where it ended for me. Yeah. I could take some of the tools she gave me, but then she, she didn't understand my struggle. Right. So yeah. I, I, even now, up to now, I still struggle with it. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I haven't, I, I actually talked to Gurdjie Singh a lot about it. Mm-hmm. I, I remember after I had my second Ajit Singh, I would be crying to, like, like I said in my uh, blog post, I just tried to talk to everybody I could about it. And um, Gurkhi Singh, he was poor kid. Like he was a kid. He didn't yeah. know anything about any of this stuff, yeah. right? But his he just he's always encouraged me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you just need this like a sangat, somebody. Just it takes one person to lift uplift you, right? So he would just tell me, Bandy, do your best. Your best is okay right now, right? Yeah. And um, he's like, just don't give it up do it Mm -hmm. and but it was hard yeah yeah and so like i i got diagnosed with that and i it lasted about six months and i don't know it kind of just went away on its own like i didn't do anything Mm -hmm. but then when i got pregnant with my third a day score um i was so afraid because i already knew what i experienced with the jeet singh and those six to seven months they were like just not for me yeah. I I felt so low and I didn't know how to explain it to anybody. And I, I had tried to talk to people about it, but I was getting the feeling people didn't really understand. Yeah. So I was afraid again. I'm like, I don't want to go through this again. I want to I want to take steps to, you know, prevent it. Prevent it. Yeah. But what ended up happening was I got depression during pregnancy and after. Oh. Yeah. So sorry, could you pass me please? Yes. So, I'm sorry. No, that's nothing to be sorry about. During this time, I was also seeing a midwife and she referred me to a counselor. And so something I realized with this counselor was that like I didn't love myself. Mm-hmm. This was during with the pregnancy. I kept telling her I'm so worried. Like even these feelings that I'm feeling, they're affecting my child, mm-hmm. right? And I don't, I don't want my child to have these same problems as me because they're affecting him or her, right? Yeah. And um, she, uh, she just helped me realize I need to love myself but I didn't know how to mm-hmm. I this I didn't realize that I like despised myself mm-hmm. I had so much self-doubt self-esteem issues self-confidence issues mm-hmm. and she helped me realize those things um, and then so I kept going to her throughout the pregnancy and I had a day score and then it was even worse <laughs> I, I just 
it's something you can't control. It is, it's hormones and a mix of so many other things, but her, my depression with her lasted a year and a half. It was a long time. very hard. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I struggled so much, even with my kids, because, so like I was telling you earlier about mom guilt, like from the moment you find out you're pregnant, you, I just, I don't know about other people, but myself, I just, I have, I want, I wanted these kids to be good six and love Guru Sahib. So now I have I put this pressure on myself that I want what I, what I want them to be, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And so then every time I'm not living up to my own expectations, I'm disappointing myself and feeling guilty, yeah. right? And only recently have I realized that I need to let go a little bit and just like go with the flow and not have so many unrealistic expectations. Um, but, um, I'm sorry, I lost my track, track of thought. Yeah, we're going from your third pregnancy, so the one and a half years of depression. Yeah. Um, my question to that was, you said you started seeing a counselor during your pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So did that, did you see the counselor before your depression sit on or were you, did you realize, oh, I'm going through my depression again, I should see someone or? I feel like I, I realized it's starting to affect me negatively so i told the midwife yeah she referred me to the counselor but i feel like it started to get worse as time went on and then after i had her i had i was allowed to see her for up to a year and a half as well after pregnancy postpartum Mm -hmm. yeah and i started i but i ended it after about six three or four months because of the same reason i was telling you earlier yes once the whole like the sicky aspect of my mom guilt and everything else came into it she she wasn't understanding or connecting with me right yeah so. that that disconnect that then that the name is not for modage yeah it's for ourselves that's where we get our strength from yeah i think it's hard for others that haven't felt that yeah. to grasp that concept yeah, yeah. Right? and it's, it's hard for me to explain yeah as well it is because it's a it's a really strong feeling that yeah. and, we can't put words to um, she had referred me to a psychiatrist as well who told me I had severe postpartum depression and she okay. said it's not mild it's se- severe and she wanted me to take medication mm-hmm. and I kept telling her no I, I don't want to taking some drug that might affect my, my the chemicals of my brain yes and it, it just scared me right. I was like I, I can't do this and but one blessing was after I stopped seeing her again because I still didn't stop reaching out to people. If people ask me, how are you? I would tell them, I'm not doing good. Yeah. And I love when people do that because sometimes we just say good. Yeah. And you know, it's not genuine. You're just saying it, right? Yeah. So yeah. It's nice when you ask somebody how they are and they actually tell you. How yeah. They are. I, I would take my chances. Some people would understand or yes. push further and mm-hmm. some wouldn't. Right. And so if they didn't, I would know, okay, I can't really go to this person, but I, I, I would, I would, I wouldn't, hold it back anymore mm-hmm. so yeah. then one of my friends she told me about cognitive behavioral therapy mm-hmm. cbt and she's a teacher so i had just gone over to her house one day i'm telling her about my struggles and she had kids too and then she just she told me she just took a piece of paper and she drew a line down the middle and she said okay on this side one side just write down all your negative thoughts and i'm like okay so She's like, for example, you feel like you're a bad mother. I'm a bad mother. Why? Because of A, B, and C, right? Mm-hmm. Then she's like, on the other side, write down, I'm a good mother because of 
A, B, and C. And then she said, if she she wanted, she was just getting me started, but she said, you start writing down your negative thoughts and put down a positive thought that's opposite but related to it. Right. She said that eventually you will start to change your thinking. Your and she said, so every time you think that I'm a bad mom because of this, mm-hmm. you'll remember what you wrote. But hey, I am I'm a good mom. I, I feed my kids. I take care of them. I love them. You know and I was like, wow, I, I never heard of this. Right. So after I left her house, I started researching more about CBT on Pinterest, but then I never got around to actually taking the time to do it, okay. right? And I don't know about anywhere else, but I didn't find any programs where um, it would be available to me for free. Mm-hmm. I would have to pay somebody a lot of money that mm-hmm. I didn't have yeah. right. to, to do it. And I just, I didn't make the time. It. <laughs> I think that's a, a problem a lot of people have is the expensive side of yeah. these therapies. It's very expensive unless you have like extended health care. Yeah. It's very hard to mm-hmm. afford. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just moving forward, I, so you spoke about a little bit of depression. I'm listening to it and I can relate to my experience. It seems like it becomes a bit of a whirlwind when something starts and then you're not getting strength from other places and it just kind of keeps going down. Yeah. Um, and But uh, there might be a, many listeners that have gone through it but have not been able to diagnose it yet and there's many that haven't gone through it and can't understand it yeah so on that point can you walk us through like the physical the mental and emotional feelings you felt during anxiety or depression um i know that once you've had an anxiety attack so maybe a little bit further on that as well so i i don't what i know i'm having an anxiety attack when i get this really weird feeling in my chest mm-hmm. i just feel like I can't breathe like my chest is closing in and I can't breathe and um, like physically I I feel like most of during the time that I was depressed I was not physically active so and I didn't feel good about my body either um, but like mentally it's just the word that I can think of is overwhelmed I'm overwhelmed with everything mm-hmm. just the daily things of you know, getting up, doing my nithinim, um, getting lunches ready for everybody for school, getting breakfast on the table, like just very simple things. I, I was getting overwhelmed with everything. I just, I, I'm thinking like, what is this? What is my life? Like, I'm just, you know, you're getting up and you're doing the same thing over and over again. All of a sudden your day is gone and you feel like you didn't accomplish anything. And so for me, I, Anytime anyone asks me, I just tell them I'm, I'm overwhelmed. Even now, I feel overwhelmed. I My mind, I can't, um, I just can't think straight. I, I'm, I have all these hundreds of thoughts just going through my head. And one thing that I usually do when I'm, I'm overwhelmed is like I want to take a nap so that I, I can close my mind off to everything and get away from it temporarily and so I was sleeping a lot (laughs) and whenever my babies would sleep I would sleep for and even and then dinner time would roll around and I I didn't want to deal with it I didn't know how to what I couldn't didn't like thinking of what to make for dinner and the thing is like everybody's counting on me they're not they're not going to eat yeah. anything if i don't make something right yeah, yeah. and so it's so much pressure yeah and yeah. i would ask my husband like what should i make and he's like i don't know <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? yeah 
and it was it was hard we were eating simple things like grilled cheese sandwiches like all the time because yeah i didn't want to make any effort so um sorry i don't know if i answered your question i wanted to actually ask you mentioned your husband yeah and uh you mentioned a little bit about he went to the psychiatrist with you and she explained all of this to him, what you were going through. And even just him being understanding when he's eating grilled cheese for dinner and stuff like that. Yeah. I wanted to ask, like, what was this like for him? Like, how was that process for him? You know, I, I like we haven't talked about it in depth, but um, I feel like what I used to do is whenever I would find some kind of article about postpartum depression or women's feelings, you know, there's so many of those out there. I would just keep sending them to him and I feel like that really helped him understand that firstly I wasn't the only one right and that um, how to deal with it and how to help me he he's never he never made me feel bad about anything and I so he's he was always my one person that I would just tell everything to Mm -hmm. I would tell him what I was feeling and um he didn't but he didn't know what to do or how to help me and i felt like what i really just wanted from him is understanding i didn't really want or need anything else from him yeah. and he gave me that he never once complained about anything like if he got anything for dinner or something for lunch that he didn't like or you know if he's eating the same dinner for five or six days he never complained about it but um i i needed more emotional support and, and i told him that I said, if I'm upset and you see that I'm upset, I'd, all I need is just you to hug me. Mm-hmm. That's all I need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, like I needed to feel loved, right? Yeah. Um, so he, he's, he's been good, but I don't know his, like, what he might be feeling about it. Right. Yeah. Does he keep it in? He's just a, like, quiet person, yeah. an internal person. Yeah. Yeah. So. Sounds like my husband. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. He actually reminds yeah. me so much of my husband. That's what gives success, yeah. too. Yeah. He seems like they need to meet each other. I know. They're probably like looking in a mirror. Yeah. <laughs> um, in one of your blogs, you said, I used to expect somebody to swoop in and come to my rescue and somehow just help cure me. Yeah. So can you explain that feeling a little bit to our listeners? Yeah, so again, like I was telling you, I would tell people and I was hoping that they would tell me some kind of miracle thing that could help me. Uh, and again, some people would understand, some wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I had this one friend um, during after I had a day score. Um, if I was having any kind of anxiety attack or panic attack, I would just message her. And she had been through postpartum depression as well. And she, with her first child, and she would message me or call me. And I would just drop everything and go to her. Mm-hmm. And I would just hug her. And I would listen to her. Yeah. And so this this is what I did after I had a day score. I would call her and I remember one time like she came over. It was probably like 11 o'clock or at night or midnight. And she came over and she just hugged me and I cried and cried and cried in her arms. I didn't even know why I was crying. Mm-hmm. It was like a, such a little thing, but that felt so good just to be able to release it. And... Um, so yeah, I, I was just hoping that people, I would tell people and that they could tell me something that I could do to help myself. But um, again, going back to the CBT, I learned about things that could help me, but then I felt like I didn't have the time to do them. 
like people would say write a journal like even just think like i'm sure you've heard of like uh, gratitude journals right. um and i bought all these fancy things to do them but i never made the time to sit down and do them so and it's not even just about making the time it's about have, getting like the will to do it to like, do it you just true. don't have the energy inside of you to do it yeah like i feel like it requires so much thinking yes that i have to sit down and think about it yeah yeah and i don't i just didn't have that kind of time and it requires that type of mental stability to tell yourself to do it yeah. and to accept what you're doing yeah to actually allow it for it to have an effect on you that's true right and yeah. i think it's hard to get to that level when you're going through so many different emotions yeah. to kind of catch yourself and be like okay no i need this thing to work for me yeah, yeah. right and that's it that's hard to get to that level too yeah i wanted to touch on uh i remember i remember when i read it in your blog that was the part that hit me the most when you like somebody made a joke to you and it was like a small thing but it made you really mm-hmm. hit your breaking point and you found yourself at the Gordon Center. I remember I even texted you. Yeah. And I told you that yeah, I got extremely emotional when you talked about that. And it touches a lot on your relationship with Guru Sahib as well. Can you walk us through that day? What that was like for you? Yeah. Um, so, you know, there was a Benji made, I wouldn't say like a harmless joke. Maybe to her it might have been harmless, but it affected me um, deeply. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I just, at that point, when I, when she made the joke, I laughed it off. She's joking and laughing. And again, I, I there's no nafrat towards her. Like she just probably thought it was a harmless joke, yeah. right? But it hurt me so much. Mm-hmm. But I was feeling like I just wanted to leave mm-hmm. uh, like this world like that's how I felt and I was like I need to matartik and I just wanted to I felt this feeling like I want to just surrender to Guru Sam. like I just like take me mm-hmm. like I, I can't do this anymore I, I don't want to be here um, and then at like again I told you about my struggles with just even my nickname and keeping you know Amrit Villa is just not even not non-existent right so you know i i just maybe at that time i just felt this like a reconnect with grusa but i i wanted to, all i wanted was to be with him i didn't want anything else nothing else in that moment mattered to me you know i had my moment there uh in Mara's presence and um i uh then i went to Lunger hall and I was just sitting there still feeling upset and there's people, people I know, I know people, everybody's coming to me and I'm trying to put on this smile, but I can't hold it in. It's just so hard. So this, the first baby that, or just, she was the second baby that came to me and she just asked me, I hadn't seen her in forever and I don't even know her that well. Mm-hmm. She just asked, looked me in the eyes and said, how are you? And she's smiling. I just burst out crying. Like I couldn't <laughs> stop. And she just hugged me and she started wiping away my tears. And she like, she just kept telling me, I know how you feel. She knew exactly what I was feeling. I didn't have to tell her anything. Mm-hmm. And um, she just made me feel so good at that time. I, I just felt like, you know, here I was crying in Guru Sa- to Guru Saab in their chat. And, and, and then I go to Lunger Hall and he sent me this like angel like right away Mm -hmm. it was like it was his he was embracing me right he was telling me 
Yeah, yeah, that you're going to be okay. Yeah. And she exchanged numbers with me and she told me very briefly about how she, what she was going through when she her kids are grown now, but she said that she there was a time where she almost committed suicide mm-hmm. and she was at such a low point. So she exchanged numbers with me and after that she did not stop. She was one person who constantly checked in with me. She she would almost every day message me, hey sister, how are you doing? And I would just tell her everything I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. I would be messaging her. I'm overwhelmed. I, you know, if there's a Geetham program, I want to go, but I, I don't want to go. And she'd be like, okay, I'll be there. She's like, put on your suit and come. And I would just somehow gather up the courage and, you know, even getting the kids ready at times like that, it yeah. just feels like... It's so daunting. It's not worth it. And then I'm going to go there and they're not going to let me sit. Yeah. They're not going to let me listen. Yeah. They're not going to let me connect to Guru Sahib because they're going to be distracting me. What's the point? Yeah. That I, I went through a lot of that. And so maybe that's where some of my disconnect with wanting to do the Simran or Nitinim also happened because I wasn't having Darshan of Guru Sahib all the time because it felt like it was too much work to get mm-hmm. there. And then it wasn't worth it, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, but she was a godsend. She, I would go to her and call her whenever I was feeling down, and she helped uplift me. You also mentioned things on your blog that you didn't like hearing when people found out about uh, your postpartum depression. Um, can you help us go through that? I feel like this question is very important for listeners that want to support but don't know what to say, but also for our uh, listeners that are looking for that conversation that will help them on their path of recovery mm-hmm. and kind of differentiate and disregard the question, conversations that are not so helpful. Yeah. I, I mean, um, one thing that really I used to hear so much is like, you're not doing enough Simran or just do Simran. Um, and I like... I would want to, but at the same time, I didn't want to. Mm-hmm. So what what do you do then? Like, I didn't have that push or desire to do it. But at the same time, I'm not at this point where I'm, I'm going to leave my sikhi. It's still important to me, but making the effort felt like I, I can't. I just, I can't even, I can't even just get up and take a shower half mm-hmm. the time. How am I going to do Simran? When am I going to do Simran? When I do Simran, I want to do it like mindfully right i don't want to just be you know in the shower doing my simran yeah mm-hmm. because i'm not really concentrating or connecting yeah so um th- but like i don't know how it I, how you can really f- filter like what people are saying to you i i i feel like um um what can people do for me personally it was more emotional support for somebody else, it might be something else that they need. So um, I, I just think the best thing that we can do is listen. Like if, if somebody wants to t- tell you how they're feeling, listen. Try not to give them advice. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I resonate with that so much. Yeah. yeah. And that's one thing I'm good at is being a good listener. Mm-hmm. I just and, and that's sometimes all a person needs is to vent Mm-hmm. And just have someone listen to them. Yeah. And under maybe they might not fully understand, but just listen. Don't say oh, you should do this, you should do that. Look, you have this to be thankful for, you have that to be thankful for. 
it's it's just again like I was telling you earlier about my friend who told me about CBT. Mm-hmm. She just said instead of saying you should do CBT, she said, "Have you heard of this?" Um, I'm like, "No, what is it?" And then she just like, "Okay, how about we work together and do this?" So it's just different. It was her. She was listening to me, but she wasn't telling me I should do this. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and when she did that, it helped me realize like, whoa, this is so helpful. Yeah. So and that's a way of presenting solutions, just presenting the option. Yeah. And then you want the person to be able to say, I need it. And then they have that control over their recovery. Yeah. Like I'm doing it because I want to do it for myself. Yeah. You just put the thought in their mind. And exactly. And make the decision. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you talked about this a little bit earlier when you went to go see the psychiatrist from at, when you had your firstborn um, about self-care. So can you talk us through that journey of what you're doing now to give yourself that self-care? Yeah. Uh, to kind of be on the preventive side? So after I had my second, when the psychiatrist mentioned the self-care, and, um, you know, she was even saying, you know, she said half an hour, which seemed extreme to me. But I, what I started doing was just, like, I would leave the kids with my husband. And I enrolled myself in all kinds of classes. Like, I did uh, cake decorating, and I did a couple of sewing classes. And then I started these random hobbies like reef making, <laughs> I, I think uh, crocheting and um, knitting. So I just started taking all of these classes. I would mm-hmm. leave them with him for about 45 minutes, hour, and I would just go on my own. No friends. I didn't go with anybody else. I just go by myself. And it was an outlet for me. It helped me feel good. Mm-hmm. And then I would come home. I, I feel like... Um, it helped me mentally just deal with what was waiting for me at home. Right. But um, it was really good. Even though I hopped around from different things, it was something that was just for me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't it didn't involve anybody else. I didn't have to take care of anybody else or worry about anybody else. And I enjoyed it. Um, that was very helpful. But now, after um, my third, I... 18 months after it took me 18 months to realize like I need to do something like it, I'm still in this depressive state and you know a lot of uh, doctors midwives everybody they would tell me to start going for a walk exercising mm-hmm. but again it was just like it was daunting for me it was like it's too much work mm-hmm. like I didn't feel like putting that effort forward but um I think it was January of last year. Yeah, last year. I um, That's when I decided, like, I'm going to do something. So I just started exercising at home. Because mm-hmm. I, if I if I started thinking about, oh, joining a gym, driving to the gym, you yeah. know, getting ready is too much. Yeah. So I'm like, I have to do, I have to make it work for me. Mm-hmm. So I started just doing it at home, um, using fitness DVDs that I had at home. And... I was like, okay, I just want to start with half an hour a day. And, you know, first week was really hard because I hadn't exercised in almost years. Yeah. And I felt like I'm dying and it's not worth it. And even about my own body image, I didn't feel good about it. Right. And I'm like, this is never going to work. It's going to take forever. I'm going through all this these mental struggles. Mm-hmm. and But I just kept doing it. Mm-hmm. And I noticed, like, maybe a month or two afterwards I felt so good like I wasn't feeling these things anymore these depressive things exercise helped me more than I realized it would Mm -hmm. and so I just made a routine five days a week 
I'm going to work out 30 minutes a day minimum. And I started losing weight. And then that helped me feel good about myself. Yeah. And there was just no turning back after that. I was, I, I can't emphasize how much exercise helps mentally. Mm-hmm. And then another thing is just doing things for myself. Now I make the time to do it. Mm-hmm. Whether it's just other mom friends that I have once in a while, maybe at least even once a month, I just tell my husband, okay, I'm going out with them mm-hmm. and we go out, do something. Yeah. And for the first time last year, there were five of us moms that left our kids at home for with our uh, husbands for five days and we went to San Francisco. Oh, that's awesome. And, cool. Like, it was so nice. Yeah, yeah that's and we great. We missed our kids for the first two days. Yeah. <laughs> but we had, so, we had so much fun. It yeah. was just, it was nice not to really have to, obviously the worry is still there you're worried about your husband and kids at home but it was nice not you know just taking care of ourselves and doing what we wanted to do without feeling like we were being weighed down mm-hmm. yeah that's awesome i wanted to like we talked so much about your blog we keep referring back to it i wanted to ask you about your blog like why did you decide to start that blog and where do you see it going so um I've wanted to start a blog since I had my first child, um, but back then it was more like food related because I really enjoyed cooking. And um, but as I started having my kids, cooking was more of a, became more of a chore. I didn't enjoy it anymore. And then recently, I've just had so many people. Um, I, I've shared a lot of ex- experiences with other younger uh, people who are having kids now and. I try to reach out to people when I can, when I know if they've had a kid, I like to ask them, how, how are you? How are you doing mentally? Because nobody ever really asks us those things, right? Mm-hmm. And I just let them know, hey, you know, I had postpartum depression. So if you're feeling anything, like, I just want you to know I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, people have been telling me, like, you know, you have you have good advice and you should share it. And so I was like, okay. One of my friends, uh, she really encouraged me that, you know, just do it. What do you have to lose? So I was like, I'll just give this a try. Yeah. <laughs> See where it takes me. I don't know about the future, like where it will take me or, um, but my hope is that if it helps, if my story can help even one person, that it's a success. Yeah. And, and then on top of that, I just want to show, share other things that, um, maybe I f- find helpful in my day-to-day life. Like, I'm sure you might have heard about the Instant Pot, but that's been a lifesaver for me. (laughs) It it might sound silly, but uh, I really wish I had it years ago because making dal was like not an option for me. It felt like I can't, I can't do this. Too much work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anything that involved too much work, like mentally, I, I just couldn't take myself there. So again, it was always grilled cheese and this and that. And then ever since I discovered this instant pot, I'm like, oh my God, it, it really changed my life. And it, it again, it sounds silly sometimes, but it saves so much time and I'm able to put a healthy meal on the table for my family. So it makes such a difference. Yeah. So I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> and I want to share recipes eventually and other things that help me. Maybe they'll help somebody else. But again, I don't. I, like, I don't feel like I know everything and I want to share everything I know. Yeah. It's just 
I just want to share what helps me. Yeah. yeah. Might help even one other person. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I really, I really love the blog. And just for those people that don't know, it's thatsickmama.com, right? Yeah. And they can follow you on Instagram at thatsickmama. Yeah. Okay. That's right. Awesome. So before we uh, end the podcast, we wanted to ask you, we call it the random five. Okay. So there's five random questions just for our readers to, our listeners to get to know you better. Okay. So are you ready? Yeah. Okay, let's start. What is your favorite book? Um, so I don't really get to read much. <laughs> uh, as much as I'd like to, I have a lot of books on my nightstand, but I don't read as much as I'd like to. But one that I've been reading recently, I haven't finished it yet, um, but I like it so far. It's called Hands Free Mama. And it's just about living a less distracted life and being more present with your kids and how to do that. Mm-hmm. Because I'm sure we all know that with technology today and these smartphones, it's so easy to just pick up your phone and get distracted. And um, I felt like I was really doing that too much. Mm-hmm. It was like almost an escape for me. Mm-hmm. Like when I didn't know want to deal with the difficulties at home, I just quickly pick it up, look at it, at it for a few minutes instagram or whatever else it's like an escape right right so i want i wanted to get away from it and i started reading this book and it's really helpful okay awesome uh what is your favorite quote or bonnie pankti oh um so bonnie pankti i have so many <laughs> um i i've always like really resonated with uh kirtan because i grew up doing kirtan but um as you know today i'll just uh, there's this one quote um that I love. So I'll read that to you. Um, uh, it's by uh, author Carrie Campicus, and this is what she said. Um, Regardless of how anyone treats you, you stand to benefit. While some people teach you who you do want to be, others teach you who you don't want to be. And it's the people who teach you who you don't want to be that provide some of the most lasting and memorable lessons on social graces, human dignity, and the importance of acting with integrity. That's beautiful. Yeah. I That really just resonates with me because, again, like we were talking about before, um, even just like thinking about we're always trying to please others. Mm-hmm. We don't realize that we're thinking about what others are doing all the time. And um, I've had, a, I'm sure we all have had difficulties um, dealing with other people, like, you know, there's Nindya, people doing Nindya of us or whatever else. And um, so for me, this quote, just I read it actually at least once a week, maybe more to remind myself yeah. that I can't I can't control what other people do. I can control myself. Yeah. And um, and what, like before, thing, little things would bother me like that comment that Benji made. It would bother me for weeks. Mm-hmm. But now it, those kinds of things don't bother me anymore. This, they might still bother me, but not as much and not for as long because I remind myself of yeah. this. And it really gives uh, meaning to the way that life unfolds. Yeah. It really shows that every interaction is there for a reason, reason. and there's something to take from it. Yeah. Yeah. And you, what are one of, one of your weird quirks? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I, um, I don't know if this is weird, but like for me... Um, as soon as I get up, I have to make my bed because <laughs> because it makes me just feel like, okay, I've got my day off to the right start, like on the right foot. Um, 
Otherwise, if I just see the bed unmade, it makes my mind feel uncluttered and I'm like, I, I can't get on with my day until my bed's made. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Did you exactly. tell her your, your weird quirk? Oh, so if I'm sleeping, let's say I take a nap at 7 p.m. Yeah. And we're going to go downstairs and eat dinner and then come back and go back to sleep at 9, I have to make the bed again. Okay. I have to sleep in too. a made bed. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, I, I feel like, yeah, cluttered. Yeah. Like even sleeping, like yeah. I don't feel. Uh, next question. If you could meet anyone in history, who would it be? Um, that's easy. <laughs> I would be Santji. Yeah. Um, we have deep love for them in our family. If you go to our house, you'll see pictures of them everywhere. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I would, I would love to meet Santji. They're like a role model for us, for our family. Sometimes I wish I lived in the Harry Potter world and you could still see them living in their pictures. Oh, yeah, that would be so cool. <laughs> yeah. I love Harry Potter photos. <laughs> and Benji, what is your biggest pet peeve? Last question. Um, pet peeve? I didn't really have many until I had kids. <laughs> kids <laughs> have made me have a lot of pet peeves and I'm not going to call them out by, you know, their name, but, um, you know, Picking your nose, eating your boogers, <laughs> licking your fingers, <laughs> licking ketchup off your plate. <laughs> Lots of I things like that. I ketchup off my plate. And, like, <laughs> and I'm 24. <laughs> and the biggest one is not listening. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I always tell my kids, I'm like, you know, life would just be so much easier if you listen the first time. Yeah. Okay, easier for me, easier for you. would be so happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's something to you have to work on, yeah. <laughs> listening. Uh, so before we end off today, is there anything else you wanted to add to um, for our listeners to hear before we uh, finish up? Um, well, firstly, I just want to thank you guys for giving me this opportunity. Um, I, I hope that my experiences help somebody, even one person out there. But, um, you know, just... Uh, if, if you feel like you're you're not doing well, it's really important to reach out to somebody that you trust and um, that you feel like you can talk to and get help. Take the first step and get help. So we want to thank you, Benji, from the both of us and all our listeners for coming in today, sharing your story. Um, and I know that while you're sharing, we had some moments where you're feeling the emotions again. Um, so we really do thank you for reliving that so that it can help anybody else that's going through that right now. And I really think that, like for me, listening to you right now in front of you, it's already made me think so much about what I can add to my life to make it more richer and better. So I'm sure that our listeners are feeling that same way. So from all of us, on the behalf of all of us, we thank you for coming out and doing that for us. Thank you. I'm Prabhjit Kaur. This is Kirleen Kaur. Until next time, bye. You've been listening to the Experience Sikhi podcast. 